So sometimes when you're not a lawyer, you got to take a step back and make sure you've checked, double checked, and rechecked yourself when you see these decisions from the Supreme Court. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, eight three three. Got Tony eight three three four six eight eight six six nine. And so when I double check myself, one of the things I do is I go over to Legal Insurrection, LegalInsurrection.com. William Jacobson, you've heard him on the show uh, many, many times, Cornell Law Professor. And the interesting way he has it written up is uh, the Supreme Court, right, ruling on these tax returns. There was one case out of New York and one case regarding uh, Congress. And he writes, two political wins for Trump. Grand jury case sent back to lower courts where Trump can raise other objections. And for now, his accounts do not have to produce financial records to Democrats in Congress. That isn't how I read the decisions. That is not how I read the decisions. Uh, I believe we have him on the line, William Jacobson, Legal Insurrection. You can check out LegalInsurrection.com and don't forget to be a part of the foundation. I'm at a loss, sir, and I appreciate you jumping on so quickly. Walk me through it bit by bit, because as I read the decisions, 7-2 on each count, uh, or on each case, I should say, you have both Alito and Thomas in, in on, on the descent of both. It would seem to me that the the New York District Attorney, uh, Cyrus Vance, won the case against Trump, and it's Congress that lost the case against Trump, where it's being sent back to the lower courts. Tay, let's start with the New York case first, what it's about, and how you see it. Right, and with the caveat, these just came out about 15 minutes ago. I've seen them, I've read the conclusions. Uh, So on the uh, grand jury case, which is the New York case, the court basically said there's no absolute presidential immunity to a grand jury subpoena while president, and there is no uh, heightened uh, consideration. So there's no high hurdle that has to be overcome. So basically the court said that a grand jury in a criminal case can subpoena records from someone who is a sitting president. So that's a loss for Trump. But the good part is Politically, the court also said that it's only ruling on those two issues. It's uh, it's not ruling on whether these documents actually have to be produced and Trump can make whatever additional arguments he wants in those lower courts. Presumably, he will lose on those and we may be back before the Supreme Court. But again, politically, the issue is it's unlikely anything's going to have to be turned over before the election. And, and that's the whole so I, so I absolutely, along with others, read that. They would leave. I, I, along with others, read that wrong. We're talking about a decision that doesn't necessarily mean a, a moment. It's not that the president has to hand over the tax returns. It's that the, that Vance, the district attorney, is indeed allowed to ask for them. Now we get into a whole new fight as you see it. Exactly. And so what the court made clear uh, in its conclusion, is that the only two things that were before it, before it, were whether the uh, returns were abs- whether the president had an absolute privilege, or whether there was a heightened obligation, essentially a higher uh, burden that the prosecution had to show as to why it needed the documents. And those were the only two issues before the Supreme Court. They said neither one applies, but very specifically said in the conclusion that whatever additional uh, uh, objections Trump may have, he can raise in the lower courts. And those could be that it's overly broad, that there's no normal need for it, 
uh, as opposed to heightened need for it. So all of those things can be litigated. I assume Trump will lose on that in the lower courts. And we might be back in front of the Supreme Court, but the likelihood that things will get produced and turned over by Election Day, which is what, you know, what the game is here, is probably low. Now, in the congressional one, it's a much more uh, clear win for Trump. Essentially, the lower courts had said you have to produce this material to the Democrats in Congress. And unlike the grand jury subpoena, where there is a chance things wouldn't leak out, I mean, grand jury is a little bit more secretive than the Congress. We know anything that gets produced to Congress within about three minutes is going to be on CNN and the New York Times. And what the court said there is that, again, it's not that Congress has no ability to subpoena things from a president, financial documents. So a little bit of a legal loss there for Trump. It's that the lower courts did not adequately take into account uh, issues regarding separation of powers. So the lower courts have to reconsider uh, these subpoenas. Presumably the lower courts will order things produced and we'll be back in front of the Supreme Court. But again, that's unlikely to happen by election day. And those were the ones where anything produced to a congressional committee regarding Trump is going to leak. So from Trump's point of view, he had two legal losses. But as a political matter, this thing is going to stretch out at least for months, maybe for more for another year or two and be back in front of the Supreme Court. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, Legal Insurrection is the website, legalinsurrection.com. Uh, according to uh, the, the Roberts opinion there, where uh, he was uh, the, the guy leading the charge, that the congressional subpoenas case, it would their approach would, quote, leave essentially no limits on the congressional power to subpoena the president's personal records. And it was not a run of the mill legislative effort. I think that's as close as you're ever going to get John Roberts to say, we see what you're doing here we we see you and man is this some garbage uh right here the case that congress claims to have is that a case as you see it well i i think it's a, a problem i think that ultimately uh the roberts court if the issue were presented to it in the right way would rule that congress cannot subpoena financial records from a sitting president and cannot use the pretext of, uh, you know, oversight and the pretext of, you know, that sort of congressional oversight, uh, much as in um, a case recently involving DACA, the court said that the Trump administration excuse for ending Obama's DACA memo was a pretext that it wasn't the real reason. So I think ultimately Congress isn't going to get these documents. Whereas the New York attorney general, I think, will eventually get them. I think the bigger threat to Trump from the attorney general decision, not the attorney general, the district attorney decision, is that it's now going to embolden other district attorneys who are uh, and attorney generals who are motivated uh, by anti-Trump fervor to do the same thing. So Trump now may be find, you know, finding himself facing this fight in multiple maybe even dozens of different jurisdictions around the country where people say, aha, the Supreme Court has said we can at least try this. So we're going to try it. I think that's probably the bigger threat, although at least in the New York New York District Attorney case, they had some jurisdictional claim 
because it involved, um, I think it arose out of Michael Cohn's testimony. It involved stuff that happened in New York. But it's probably not much of a stretch that the New York State Attorney General will convene a grand jury, that uh, district attorneys in major cities will, because everything Trump did somehow related to their city. So I think that's probably the bigger problem here is and, and really, I think the fault of the Roberts court is that it doesn't recognize that once you eliminate either heightened, uh, you know, heightened requirement or absolute immunity, now a president can be uh, tied down with dozens and dozens and dozens of grand jury investigations for political purposes. And I think that's the problem here. And so we'll have to see how that develops, how many of these Democrat um, district attorneys and attorney generals now want to jump on board. William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, LegalInsurrection.com. Before I, I let you go, because I've got you and I got to ask, because I live it near one of those counties, one of those cities that has now put forth a mask mandate coming from the health department and even reports, you know, if you see somebody without a mask, you report them to the health department, not to the police. Don't call 911. Report them to the health department. That's actually being discussed how to narc and, and, and call out your, your, your neighbors. Uh, without specifics, can a health department mandate the American populace of any city or any county wear masks? Is that an enforceable kind of thing? Well, I think it's going to depend on whether it's reasonably related to a health objective. I think uh, the, the case law gives state officials and government officials pretty broad leeway to mandate health, uh, you know, uh, requirements. But requiring someone every time they step out of their house to wear a mask so you can't even go into your own backyard or you can't walk down an empty street, I could definitely see a court saying that that's irrational. It is not rationally related to any demonstrable scientific health benefit. Whereas I could also see a court saying, uh, as some of them have, that you know if you're going to require a mask in certain types of environments, inside stores, closed environments, uh, where the air doesn't circulate, uh, or maybe even in large gatherings outside that might be permissible, but I could see a court saying, no, you can't just require that every time somebody steps out of their front door, they have to have a mask on. That is William Jacobson, Legal Insurrection. Check out the foundation as well at LegalInsurrection.com. Cornell Law Professor, sir, I appreciate you taking the time so very much. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz.